Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the conversation that the Lord Jesus was having with the person who is generally referred to as the young rich ruler. This was a very important conversation in the sense that the man had asked him, what must he do in order to have eternal life? The Lord Jesus eventually gives his response, which was to the disciples, that with men this is impossible. It is impossible to have eternal life outside of the new covenant, which is what I was presenting in the previous program. Now, there are three different references in the New Testament to this conversation. The one that I'm using in these programs is the one found in Matthew, beginning in chapter 19, verse 16, where it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect... Go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's verse 26, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. And so this was the conversation. In the previous program, I explained that what people will generally do is they will generally try to find some way to make the impossible possible. They will try to find some way to make it possible. I explained in the previous program that people will do this by trying to depreciate the seriousness of the law or the seriousness of sin and the penalty thereof by suggesting that the way that God made it possible was to make up the difference for when you fall short. You know, you just do the best you can, and then the Lord will just make up the difference. He will forgive you for those sins that you committed because you failed in your repentance and obedience in all aspects of your life. To me, that is one way that people will try to make the impossible that Jesus described. They try to make the impossible nature of our condition. They try to make it possible 
for us to get through it. I do not believe that this is how God made it possible. I believe that God accomplished salvation, provided eternal life, by providing mercy and forgiveness for those who recognize that they have no good works, that they have nothing that they can present before God and lay a claim before Him and say that, well, they did something. I believe that all of that is nothing. So this is what I introduced in the previous program, that there are other ways that people will try to make the impossible possible. One of the other ways, which is what I'm going to explain in this program, is the fact that many people will suggest that the Lord Jesus wasn't really talking about eternal life. I mean, certainly the man asked him a question about it. Instead, what the Lord Jesus did was he changed the discussion just slightly to say that this is going to be about the corrupting power of riches. The corrupting power of riches, that wealth is something that will corrupt you to the extent that you will not enter into eternal life because it will be a barrier that will prevent you from doing so. And so it doesn't really matter what the criteria is as long as you understand that the Lord Jesus is just giving a warning about money, about riches. This is another way that people try to make the impossible possible. If you will just simply find a way not to be dependent on your riches, then it will be possible for you to enter into eternal life if you will not be dependent on your riches. But consider what the disciples said in response. They said, well, then who then can be saved? They didn't ask, well, isn't there any way for a rich man to be saved? Because obviously anyone who is poor, who does not have riches, does not have this barrier, does not have this corruption in their life. And so they can be saved. That's not what they asked. They asked who, as in who. Now, that's a very important statement. That should tell you that there's a lot more going on here in this conversation than just the corrupting power of riches. Now, listen, as I explained at the end of the previous program, I really do believe that there is some truth behind that, that certainly riches can be corrupting. I mean, certainly riches can corrupt your life. They can corrupt your relationship with your God. I can understand that. I just don't believe that that really is the intent of what the Lord Jesus is speaking about. But there certainly can be other circumstances. There could have been other people who Jesus could have spoken with about the corrupting power of riches. There is a lot of validity to that. Even today, there are many opportunities for people to encounter the corrupting power of riches. And so I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about this. Now, let's start with the fact that there is a barrier that people can encounter when it comes to riches. The reason why is because we do have the flesh. We are in the flesh, and the flesh can find ways of indulging itself, or we can find ways of indulging our flesh through riches. Because of that, there can be a dependency on the riches to the extent that we may not be willing to consider the eternal life that the Lord is offering us. But this is normally how it works. The reason why many people will turn to the living God is because they are empty. It is because they are hopeless, because they recognize that they are helpless, because they recognize that they have 
deep-rooted needs that nothing in this world can provide. This is a very common motivator, and I believe that it is God-inspired, that we can be motivated to turn to the living God for who he is and for what he has to offer if we recognize the depth of our emptiness and the fact that the world will never provide any fulfillment for the emptiness that is deep down within us. However, the obstacle here that I'm referring to is that riches or great wealth can keep us going for a little longer. Great riches and great wealth will open up new doors in the world, provides new opportunities for us to indulge our flesh in ways that we simply would not have access to if we did not have tremendous wealth. And so in that way, wealth can be corrupting. It can be corrupting in the sense that it can have power over us because it can keep us in the world, in the pursuit of the indulgence of the flesh a little longer because of the opportunities that we will have by being able to spend our riches in the world. And in this sense, it can be very corrupting. Do some research, for example, on those people who have won a lot of money in various games, such as the lottery. If you will do some research, you can find that many people's lives were ruined by winning a tremendous amount of money. Now, of course, a lot of the destruction that happened in their lives was because other people wanted the money. But still, there is a reality to the fact that riches can have corrupting influences, can have corrupting power in a person's life because of the new things that they can spend it on, the new things that they can do with it. It will take people further away from the love of God. So in that sense, yes, I can agree that riches can keep people from eternal life under these conditions if the criteria for eternal life is let it go, give it away. If the criteria is to let it go and give it away, then a person has to trust. They have to believe a number of things. They're going to have to trust and believe that their riches are not going to provide them with eternal life. And I believe that this man recognized to a certain extent that even though he had tremendous riches, he didn't have eternal life or he did not have any confidence that he had eternal life. And because he left his riches and pursued the Lord Jesus, that tells me that to an extent he would recognize that he's not going to be able to obtain eternal life because of his riches. And so I don't think that in this case the riches were corrupting his decision to obtain eternal life because of his behavior before the Lord Jesus told him to give all of his riches away. I believe that there was another conflict that the Lord Jesus created that would cause the man to turn away. I will explain that, if not in this program, I'll explain it in the next program. I'll explain why I believe that, but I just wanted to mention that, at least in this case, that I don't think that the man didn't see. I mean, I don't think that he didn't see that the riches were not fulfilling the deepest needs of his heart. I think he did see that the riches were not enough. Again, I believe that he saw that his riches were not enough. And so I think he would have been willing to let it go. But there are a lot of people who, because of their desire for love and acceptance, 
meaning and purpose in their lives, they are not willing to let go of their riches because they do not believe that the Lord will meet those needs deep in their heart. Now, the Lord Jesus was not offering any of those things that I just described. He offered riches in heaven. He offered things in heaven. He did not suggest that he would meet the deepest needs of the heart of the man deep down inside. Today, we can speak about those things because we have an understanding of the gospel. We have an understanding of the condition of humanity in a way that was very difficult to identify during the days of the Old Covenant that I believe we can look at now because of the revelation that we have in the New Testament that they didn't have at that time. So I certainly do believe that there are many people who could find their riches to be an obstacle in their life, but not for the same reasons as are described here, because, of course, the Lord Jesus offers him riches in heaven, and that certainly is a lot more than what he has here on the earth. It would be a reasonable exchange, a great exchange. So how else can riches be a barrier to keep people from entering into eternal life or receiving what the Lord has to offer for them? Well, one thing is pride. You can esteem a tremendous amount of pride through the riches that you might be able to acquire or through the riches that you might have. People can esteem a tremendous amount of pride. They can boast about their riches. They can make comparisons with others who do not have the kinds of riches that they have. This is very similar to religious pride. Religious pride in the sense that there are people who believe that they are successful in their repentance and obedience, repentance from their sins and obedience to the law or to the works of God, at least more than you are, and so that they can make comparisons between themselves and you. They can boast in that. They can have pride in that. That's religious pride. Well, pride can come from wealth in the same way, or at least in a similar way. A person can find riches to be a tremendous barrier between themselves and eternal life because eternal life will require you. There is criteria to obtaining eternal life. The criteria has to do with you recognizing your need for forgiveness, your need for mercy. But in a religious sense, it is more difficult for a religious person to enter in to eternal life on the basis of mercy and forgiveness. It's more difficult for them to do that than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle because of the pride that they are struggling with. When it comes to riches, it's more difficult for a person who depends in their flesh, who depends on what the riches can provide, it is more difficult for them to let those things go than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle because of their pride. And I don't think that that is what the man was dealing with here, but I do know that there are other people who struggle with that. There are many people who boast in their wealth. There are many people who use their wealth as a way of buying influence. They use their wealth as a means of buying affection, of buying acceptance, of buying meaning and purpose in their lives by the things that they can do with it. Those are the kinds of things that will cause a corruption in people's lives. But I want you to understand that it's not the wealth, the riches. It has nothing to do with the riches 
or the wealth because people struggle in the flesh with these same things. They just do it in other ways when they do not have riches, when they do not have wealth. And so it is not the riches. It is not the wealth. It is the condition of humanity. It is the emptiness of people. Again, it is not the riches. The riches do not have corrupting power. The riches only reveal the corruption in the heart of a person. That is what people can often relate to. But the presence or the absence of the riches has no effect on the corruption of the person. And so, for these reasons, I really don't believe that it was the intent of the Lord to speak about the corrupting power of riches with this man in that way. There was something else. Again, listen to what the Lord Jesus was offering to this man. He was offering him an opportunity to rise, not to bow down at his feet like he did, He was offering him an opportunity to rise, to be great, to be good. Those are the kinds of characteristics that you would expect an individual to have or to assert in their pride. Certainly they wouldn't have it, but they assert it, and that would be the expression of their pride. Because of the way the man approached the Lord Jesus, he came to him. He ran to him, in effect. He bowed down. He declared that the Lord Jesus was good, by default, suggesting that he is not. Even though he would say that he has kept all of the commandments, he still addresses the Lord Jesus in this manner. This tells me that the Lord Jesus was offering him, or giving him an opportunity, to have an increase in pride. He was not suggesting that he was going to take something away, but he offered him a greater amount than what he apparently had previously. Can you see these subtleties? If you can't, it's not that big of a deal. Just try to stick with me. The Lord Jesus offered him more, more wealth, more riches in heaven. The man could have had more. He could have had an abundance compared to what he already had. The Lord Jesus was offering him greater riches. The Lord Jesus was offering him greater influence was offering him greater credibility, offering him a greater position in society in the sense that he could be a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus. He was offering the acceptance of a good teacher. He was offering love. He was offering meaning and purpose. I mean, the Lord Jesus was offering this man a lot, and yet he would not take it. Why? Because there was a greater conflict going on here that will be very difficult for you to identify if you don't know the law, at least to the extent that I'm going to tell you about. It is very difficult to see exactly what the conflict is that would cause the man to leave. Understand, the man comes and the Lord Jesus gives him an answer. He gave him an answer. And the man could have received it, fine, give it all away. Listen, if he has a tremendous amount of wealth, it could have come from two different possibilities. He could have earned it, or he could have inherited it, just to give you a couple of examples. If he inherited the wealth, it may not have a lot of value to him anyway. And seeing that his disciples were well-fed and well-taken care of, and Jesus was doing just fine, what's the big deal, right? I mean, if you inherit wealth, sometimes it's difficult to appreciate it, 
anyway as much as you would appreciate it if you earned it. But what if he earned it, right? I mean, if he really earned it, if he worked from nothing, for example, and he produced more than what he consumed, he saved the difference for a long period of time, that's how you obtain riches on your own, you produce more than what you consume, you save the difference, and over a long period of time you will have saved a lot, you will be rich. Well, he could do that again, especially if he's young, if that's the case, he still has plenty of time in his life, if he gives it away, he can always rebuild it. Anyone who knows how to build riches like that, by producing more than what they consume and saving the difference, anyone can do it again, and again and again, you can do it over and over. You can live your life continually as you had already lived your life. And sure, it may be a little bit more of a burden otherwise, but maybe you would have learned a few things by then. You could probably do it a lot easier just because of your experience. There are many things that we can say about this. But please understand, understand this, that I just, I don't see that the riches were as much of a barrier as many people suggest in this circumstance. In this case, I see a greater conflict, a much bigger conflict. Consider, for example, this idea of him loving his neighbor as himself, right? I mean, people will present that often. They will say, well, he didn't love his neighbor as himself as well as he could have. Because if he really loved his neighbor, he would give all of his riches to them. But you know, sometimes that's not a loving thing to do. It's not. Sometimes it can be. I can understand that. But consider those people who you know, just to give you an example, consider the people who you know in your life. I'm confident you can find a few people, perhaps most of them, but surely you can find a few people at least. And if you think about these people, you should have some confidence in a statement like this, that you would know that if you just gave them a bunch of wealth, a bunch of riches, It would not be to their advantage. They would just spend it. They would just consume it. They would have nothing left. And during that time, between the time when you gave it to them and the time that they spent it and lost it, they could have used that time to learn how to build their own riches, to learn how to build their own lives. But now they're older. Now years have passed. Now it's going to be harder because they weren't using their life appropriately. Riches can be destructive in people's lives who don't really know how to manage them, what to do with them. Consider ministry by inheritance. We see this happen a lot. It doesn't always happen, but in general, when a person builds a ministry and they retire or they pass away, The ministry is given to someone else. But if that other person does not have the ability to build a ministry from nothing, chances are they're not going to be able to sustain the ministry that is given to them. Ministry by inheritance is a bad way to go. It's a bad idea. That is not how the Lord works, in my opinion. The ministry that I do, I do not do it with the intent that someone is going to inherit This ministry, I am doing this work in such a way that when I'm done, I'm done. And what was produced will remain and be available for free for people as long as people can make it available. But there's no reason to continue 
the work, the Lord can inspire other people to continue work, and perhaps the donors of this ministry may want to support them. But that is not the same as ministry by decree or ministry by inheritance. That's something different. So giving his riches to the poor may not be a loving act. It might not be. If he does that, he might sin in the sense that he might give people an opportunity to increase their sin or increase their corruption. And so I am not willing to say that that is what this was about either. I don't think that he would walk away over that. I believe that he walked away over something else. And I will explain this in the next program. It has to do with understanding the law. Understanding that if you are obedient to the law, you will have riches. That is what I read here. That's what I hear when I read this. And so when I consider it from that point of view, I see a greater conflict. And I can understand why the man would walk away because of the promise of the law. The promise of the law was that if you obey, you will be blessed by God. He will intervene in your life and he will bless you with riches. It is a form of validation. It becomes the man's credentials. So Jesus is telling the man, let go of the riches. Give away the evidence of your obedience. But that creates a contradiction to a degree because If he is obedient, he will have riches. The riches will overtake him according to the law. There is no way to avoid it according to the law. If he gives them away to the poor, if he gets rid of them, more riches are going to come to him. He's never going to be able to succeed in getting rid of his riches if he is true to the promise of the law, if the blessings of the law are true. And if he is going to believe that, He has a contradiction. He has a conflict that puts him in a situation where he might as well just walk away. And I will explain this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,